imagination says I've got a some relation. He leaves a cigarette burning on the desk. His clothes and magazines make up such a mess. Sitting up in bed, transistor on his chest, they quintessence. A 15-year-old sprouts in life is fine with his quintessence, safe and sound in life. Life's a adolescence from time to time. Hear the song, a quintessence. was an excerpt from the remarkable single from long ago entitled In Quintessence by Squeeze, performed live, and that was an excerpt. And the uh, cast is uh, entitled In Quintessence, number 363, and it's an attempt to try to um, bring, uh, bring us back to first principles in looking at popular culture in light of the Christian faith. Now, that may sound, you may say, well, gosh, I need something more important than that, or that doesn't really speak to, you know, I, I see a lot of uh, somebody whom I admire in the Christian world has recently retired, does about six uh, Instagram reels a day in which he's speaking about something, and I keep wanting to say, don't talk about the church, and don't talk about, I mean, I should be talking to myself about this, but I said, don't talk about horizontal things and collective matters. Speak about people who are really looking for help, people who are troubled. Speak, speak, speak about the direct relationship of God to people facing impasses in their own personal lives and pain. And then I won't want to sort of breeze by or even unfollow you because I admire this man enormously. Now, um, <clears throat> this is not, in fact, a kind of aesthetic uh, set of principles for um, evaluating uh, pop culture, especially music and movies in light of the Christian faith. It's really a way to minister to yourself and to those whom you love through the heartfelt and often intangible cathartic elements in art, <laughs> to quote Jimmy Swaggart. I just love the way he used to say that, art. Um, I'm talking about the heart, the heart of you and me in facing the pain that we have and what can come to bear as real ministry and balm and Gilead to people who are in pain, such as we are a great deal of the time, not all of the time, but a lot more than we would care to admit. I was um, telling Pastor Paula, whom I admire so, so very much as a kind of avatar of the Holy Spirit in contemporary life, and I was uh, at a service at City of Destiny the other night, and as I was coming in, and it didn't promise to be all that good for a variety of reasons, and um, I was just going out of loyalty. But as I walked in, there was a woman, a, a woman 
who appeared to be almost huddled against a chair. And at first I thought it was a homeless person who might have <coughs> come in and was kind of sleeping or a, someone who was sleeping off a drug injection. Um, but I was, as I walked past the person, I realized I was completely wrong. It was a youngish woman who was uh, in deep, deep uh, prayer to God, uh, and she was kneeling. We don't have kneelers in that church, but she was kneeling on the ground with her head cradled in her arms, <clears throat> crying out to God with enormous <clears throat> personal conviction. And she was sort of in a corner somewhere, so she wasn't trying to make herself seen or making a spectacle. And I said, oh my gosh, this is powerful. This is the essence of why we are here. This is the essence of what the church is. And I ran it by the the illustration, the experience by Pastor Paula in talking to her. And I said, this is what the church is. The church is people come to church wanting to have, have help with their despair, with their tragedy, with their pain. That is, there are other things. There are other elements. There are other good fruit of a church life. But the core is people coming needing and desiring wholly and in great distress to do business with God directly. And that I saw uh, with my own eyes. Now, I want to talk about this in terms of art because um, uh, I've, I've so admired David Zoll for having made this a very, an indispensable part of his core vocation at Mockingbird. You visit David's study uh, at Christ Church Charlottesville, and it's just a hymn to um, a childhood and later um, abreactive, uh, funny, delightful pop art artifacts from garbage pail kids to... <clears throat> posters about Bob Dylan or various wonderful rock groups and movies and <clears throat> books and uh, periodicals and fun figures, uh, you know, we used to call them action figures of all sorts, a great many of which, I would say almost all of which ultimately have to do with David's own contact with his inner self as it is touched by uh, popular art when it's good, and high art when it's good, but especially popular art. And I want to sort of go back to origins in my own life with this and say just a little bit how it works and the hope that it may not tell you what to do, but it may chart your own reactions to things when you're touched. And I want to use as my simple case point, don't, uh, this is a case study, but it, it, it applies to any number of songs and squeeze and television shows and binge that you've had, but it also kind of helps to help you understand why certain um, songs and movies and TV shows stand out. In uh, 1995, is that right? Yes, 1995, <clears throat> a group of um, uh, uh, artistic people and producers in Canada uh, did a remake of the old 1960s American TV show, The Outer Limits, which we grew up on. And I saw every single Monday night for two years uh, as a child, and I adored it. But this uh, creative team, almost all from Canada, I think they got Hollywood funding to make it cheaply or more cheaply in Canada, decided to um, to remake uh, uh, The Outer Limits concept, which is the kind of uh, a marriage of... Uh, larger issues and including spiritual, even religious issues with science fiction and the potential of causality and the natural world and physical world as it might apply to emotional and or spiritual visions and ideas. And it's a very potent 
and seemingly rather secularizing trend. And there is an element of heavy-duty, sort of normal, secularizing progressivism, um, much of which has is worth listening to, especially when it's done so creatively. But this uh, group of producers produced uh, five... Uh, no, do I lie? Yes, five seasons of uh, Outer Limits episodes, um, a number of which are very unusual. They're unusual because occasionally they would somehow it would be possible for the, a writer or a director, or in this case of Rebecca de Mornay, um, who produced and starred or co-starred in one, but directed one, um, to sometimes smuggle in non-conventional ideological, uh, non-ideological, non-conventional uh, situations that uh, sort of make you sit up and say, what? And, um, that's what I picked up on early in the show. There, there was one outstanding, explicitly Christian episode that was written by Joseph Stefano, who was the original creative voice behind the American 1963 um, for, uh, version of Outer Limits. And he was a sort of lapsed Catholic. But there was one explicitly Christian episode that made an impression on all of us at the time, although more later when we were older and were open to it. But there are five or six episodes in the many, many, many um, new Outer Limits episodes from Canada that are almost all available in one form or another that were smuggled in. And those were the ones that um, I picked up on. Um, and I want to show so how I did it and how you can do it. Because you, you would see something, and if, if it was nihilistic, I don't want to watch it anymore. I really don't want to watch things that have nihilistic endings because I just don't think they contribute anything whatsoever to happiness or fulfillment or truth or accuracy or um, perspective and ultimately hope and providential promise in life as I now see it and have for a long time, actually. But I see it now, you might say, more than ever, ever. And um, occasionally something would be smuggled in that would hit my heart. It happens, happened all over the place for years and years and years and years. And I've have a, you know, my office, not as imaginatively and thoroughly and densely as David's is filled with um, books and uh, literary works from Hugo to Tolstoy to Dickens to, uh, to George Eliot, you name it, um, of uh, works of literature, Aldous Huxley, uh, Jack Kerouac, where there's a touching on uh, William Wordsworth, the Christian thematics in a way that maybe lends depth and touches me in a fresh way because <clears throat> I need to be touched every day with you, Lord, is nicer than the day. Every day with you is sweeter than the day before, the Dennis Yost and the Classics Four, and um, I'm always looking for something to help me on a day-to-day -day basis. And I have recently gone back to some of these Outer Limits episodes, which hit me big time in the 90s, because I did watch them. I was interested in the Outer Limits period, and I loved the imaginative alien episodes, because I thoroughly um, am immersed in ufology, <laughs> but don't worry. And... Um, so I took a couple of the ones I remembered, and they fulfilled it completely. There's an episode from season one, episode 12, entitled The Conversion, that co-stars Rebecca de Mornay and was directed by her. And somehow they smuggled in she or the director, Brad Wright, or the author of the, of the, uh, of the play on which the uh, screenplay is based, or the story, I should say, rather, The Conversion, it's called. And it's about a a uh, man has just committed a mass murder out of revenge for something that took place at work, what we call a workplace uh, crime. And he is on the lam, and he meets a character who's kind of an angel-slash-Christ figure who not only talks him into waiting for God to speak, 
or events to speak benignly, but who imputes to him something that he doesn't have by nature and takes upon himself the actual bullet wound that the author named the, quote, hero, end of quote, named Henry, bears in his side from the, mass, from the murder. And um, this imputation, this substitution, to say the least, and this profound substitution at the end, and the uh, creating of a new heart within the massively disordered um, uh, anti-hero who is converted. He's absolutely converted in a way that is very intriguing, deeply Christian. Jesus is even mentioned at one point in a slightly neutral way, but unlike so many things, it doesn't pit God or spirituality, you know, against the church or against traditional Christianity. It's an unbelievable fulfillment of Christian thematic with a funny music by Enigma, which you will think is lame and sort of new agey, but I like it for what it's worth. But it's really good, the conversion. And it, it makes you, you see it and you're uplifted because it's a form of the Christian faith done by really um, very successful, I mean, well-versed and uh, professional artists. It's really wonderful. And then there's, um, there's the one I'm currently interested in called The Shroud. And The Shroud, uh, which actually is based on the Shroud of Turin in sci-fi and religious perspective, is an episode 10, I think, from season 5, 1999. And uh, although it contains very strong pro-life, you might say, in quotes, pro-women's choice, pro-choice, no, not pro-life, I lie, pro-choice, but with a pro-life conclusion, and a very strong... um, a strong, explicit feminist agenda, which is very worthwhile if you see it, and it is a child of its time, what, is, what I'm trying to say, but um, the resolution, of, and it's very anti-evangelical, because in most of these situations, the writers, based upon their own chip on their shoulders often, portray anything, any evangelical pastor is inevitably uh, a hypocrite or a a user or a controller in the worst possible patriarchal sense. And there's a very nice Catholic priest, by the way, alternatively in The Shroud. But for all that, all of its kind of bows to (coughs) conventional ideological ideas and um, uh, attitudes, um, it explodes in its resolution, with pure Christian devotion, explodes with Christian devotion. And it is um, mind-blowing. I mean, it is simply absolutely mind-blowing how it ever got made, the shroud. So while it does put down the church, at least the evangelical Protestant church heavily, and it does um, say a lot that reflects the ideas of the authors, at the end it explodes with an uncharacteristic and brilliant... um, and very, very makes you cry um, resolution about the incarnation. It's absolutely amazing. There's another episode called Stream of Consciousness, which is they smuggle in somehow. It's about a young boy who's sort of a, a savant, but a really gifted young sort of IT chap who decides to bring down the worldwide internet. This was made in 1997 or 8, this episode, maybe 95? No, anyway, late 90s. He decides to bring down the worldwide internet, which is, everybody carries implants, which are the equivalent of iPhones, and it's definitely where we're going. It's a prognosticative picture of the complete control of the world through IT technology. And, um, 
digital technology in the massive way, and yet he wants to bring it down, and he succeeds. And the resolution and final, the conclusion, uh, the postscript, you might say, of Stream of Consciousness from Outer Limits Season um, 3, maybe, um, is beyond belief. I mean, it's it's so countercultural. It how did they do it? How did, it is like how could it be made? It's so it's funny. It's uh, you'll see it. Stream of consciousness, the conversion, the shroud. There are other episodes. I'm using them only as an example of what you can do. You you hear a song that really speaks to you, and if it really speaks to you, it's going to speak to you about something important. Something out of those four memes that I talked about the other day. The the connection with another person, which is essential for life, the providence of God working all things together for good for them that love God, which is absolutely how I see life at this point, notwithstanding many, many, in my view, cross-carrying Good Friday episodes uh, in my life, um, Good Fridays of my own life, uh, I still hold to that. And then the step of faith, the Paula White element, you've got, for some reason, it's not a law, but it's an, it's an empirical description. It's the way it is. You seem to need to reach out for something to happen. That cry of help seems to be a, um, a, an essential, a required um, moment to trigger the response of God. I know that sounds strange, but I, I, it may not be strictly, you know, strictly orthodox in the way that I would have put it, but I see no, my experience um, absolutely reflects it, plus the ultimate and complete mercy of God, which we see in the episode, The Conversion by Rebecca de Mornay, and um, in, uh, in uh, the essence of all really great art, the potential for a new beginning. Well, that's all I wanted to talk about, and I wanted to encourage you to look at what you love. Look at the movies, the art. Everybody listening to this has a particular book that speaks to them very deeply, to their own pain. It's usually to your pain or your own aspirations coming out of a point of weakness or desire, which has been inhibited by some... Uh, different kinds of blockages. And uh, everyone has a song that speaks for you. You know, you're going through a phase based upon this television program or that piece of literature that you're reading. It's your voice. And um, I was just talking about my own experience of the new Outer Limits, but you all put yours in and then uh, find within it the Christian heart of uh, whatever it is, because it's going to be God speaking to you. And then uh, lay hold of it and uh, uh, communicate it and enjoy it and find more because they're not many. They're not many, but they're enough to, um, to make it worthwhile to open your mind. Today, most of what we see is nihilistic and hopeless, but somewhere out there, even today, there's something that is going to buoy you. And that was the point of this cast. God bless you, and uh, here we uh, listen to uh, a voice of, uh, of destiny. Love you. There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. If we wish to make it louder, we will bring up the volume. If we wish to make it softer, we will tune it to a whisper. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can roll the image, make it flutter. We can change the focus to a soft blur. 
or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your television set. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits.